think of his grace and his mercy And oh yeah, how he loves me All I can do is thank him for blessing me He shows me from the hurt and the pain A touch from him and you will never be the same Yes, I gotta thank him for saving me I thank him for my blessings every day that I wake up. We were born into this sin, but he decided to save us. Wasn't grateful for my life, but now I thank him every night. Because without him, I'd be lost. Now the problem has been solved. I remember all the lies and all the times that I disguised. But now his greatness and his mercy was revealed until my eyes. I'm so alive, I rose up from the dead survive. I cannot help but give him praise. You should come along for the ride. All right, everybody, I want to thank you for joining us again for another episode of the Servant Leader Coach's Bible Study. I'm your host, Coach Chelsea, and I'm super excited about this one. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing when you can cross paths with individuals and amazing people, um, but it's also amazing when you can have a cross connection. And today we have Servant Leader David Walker with us, such an amazing individual, amazing family man, amazing man of God, amazing servant leader. He is a former Oklahoma Sooner, a former collegiate women's basketball coach, and he is currently the co-host of the Iron Horse podcast. I'm repping that today with a shirt on my back, but I was had the honor and the pleasure to actually join him on his podcast. He and his other co-host, Brandon Carr, have an amazing platform going on. We're going to get in that today. Uh, I missed some other things, so I'm so excited to have you, David. I thank you for your time. I know that Time is limited these days, but to be able to render this to me and to this platform and these leaders, we appreciate you. So I'm going to pass the torch to you to say hello to our listeners, and we'll get this conversation started. All right, Chelsea. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, and I certainly appreciate the introduction. Although I strive for amazing, sometimes I I settle for above average. It's kind of like that median, right? You try to be above average on everything and try to balance those, those different roles as dad and husband and all the different you know roles that all of us play. So Certainly happy to be with you on this podcast. I know, uh, like you said, you you were one of our first guests. We came across your story on Twitter and wanted to connect with you. And really, it's it's interesting because we did that. We did that episode, and we had to run it back again because we didn't do it. You didn't get everything right the first time. First time <laughs> yeah. podcasters, we screwed up the audio. It's like, hey, uh, Chelsea, can we maybe run that back? Thank you, please. Yes. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> So humble beginnings, and we learned a lot on the way up, but, um, you know, certainly have watched what you guys have done here on the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study from afar, been able to, you know, tap into it once in a while, but definitely proud of what you're doing, blessed to be on here with you. I think it's awesome that we have this platform where coaches can come in here and let their guard down and not have to, you know, toe the line of PC and be able just to really dive in and, you know, pursue the heart of God, and I'm excited to get to have that conversation today. I think you said that so perfectly, and it's amazing that that just seems like yesterday that we had our conversation on your pod, and to see what you guys are doing is super amazing, but both of those platforms, the Servant Leader and the Iron Horse Podcast, just truly, you said it best, a place where coaches, athletic professionals can just get together, hear, listen, bounce things off of one another, Um, because sometimes, you know, as, as much as people care, if you haven't been in that arena with so many things going on, it's just good to get what like minds and like spirits. So, you know, just talk to our listeners a little bit. You have an amazing resume, amazing background in so many different facets of this athletic world. Talk to us a little bit about how you chose Oklahoma. 
to extend your football career and what that experience kind of meant for you in building your faith and building your athletic background that led for our future endeavors. Wow. Well, that's, um, there's a very long answer to that. Uh, and <laughs> I actually, Brandon and I had a full conversation on our podcast that we called life of a walk on where I actually kind of talk about that in really great sure. detail um, because there's a lot of misperceptions about what the walk on experience is like. And so spoiler alert, I walked on there, um, but kind of backing up from there, athletically speaking, I'm, I'm kind of a mutt in the athletic world. And I'll tell you why. Uh, my great grandfather was a high school basketball coach, uh, had a heart attack at a basketball practice, like literally like died on the court. Um, my grandfather and my great grandfather's in the Oklahoma hall of fame. My grandfather was a high school coach, played college basketball at Northeastern state in Oklahoma. And then my dad had played junior college basketball, got married right out of high school. He and my mom had me at age 20 in the middle of his sophomore and junior year. So I grew up in the gym with the number 15's my dad t-shirt and watching my dad at Oklahoma Christian University as my first two years of life. And so I was born into basketball and I thought that's what I was gonna be. I thought, man, I'm a, I'm a baller, I'm a hooper, I'm a fourth generation basketball guy, you know? And it went that way for most of my life. And then I'm, I'm 14 years old, eighth grade, dunked the ball for the first time. And I don't say that to be like a humble brag. I say it to say that reinforced everything for me. It's like, oh yeah, this is, this is my track. I'm, I am tracking really well here. For sure. And I never got any taller. <laughs> so, you know, my dad was kind of looking to that and said, hey, you know what, uh, brother, there's not really a lot of demand for 6'3", 290-pound white boys in the paint in the college basketball world. So maybe <laughs> we should put your hand on the ground, get your butt in the weight room and, uh, and pursue that angle. So I played basketball all the way through high school. And that's where my passion was. That's kind of where I found my my worth and my identity in a lot of ways, because sports is such a, a weird platform when you're a teenager. I was an offensive and defensive lineman. There's not any touchdowns being scored, not any passes being caught. And in basketball though, you could kind of, you know, you could get a bucket, you get a big rebound, you could do things that you felt like tangibly impacted the game. So I always loved the gym, always loved the court. I was a gym rat, but when it came to college coaching, that's the direction I ended up going into the college coaching world. So when I say I'm a mutt, I played college football, I coached college basketball, and I coached women's college basketball. So it, even at that, like, I yes. really put the spin on it. <laughs> so, and the reason I did that is because my dad uh, coached on the girls' side. So all the college coaching contacts I had were through my dad on the women's side. So that's the direction I went. But, you know, kind of stopping down on the, the college football experience. For me, growing up in a one-stoplight town, Fort Gibson, Oklahoma, USA, at the time when I was, you know, in eighth grade, ninth grade, making that goal to play at OU, we didn't have anybody doing those things. And so for me, it was like, okay, I want to be somebody that people can look to and say, oh, he made it. So my pride led me to do that at any cost, basically meaning like I'm going to turn down the D2s, turn down the JUCOs because I'm going to bet on myself to prove that I can do this. And I needed to do that. Um, so I went there, redshirted. And when you go as a walk-on, some of you may be able to attest to this, but it is haves and have-nots. Mm -hmm. And at the D1 level, there's no in-between. There's no, well, we got you a partial. We got your books and tuition. And, you know, that no, it's like you're either the guy that they signed and everybody's excited about, or you're a, wait, who's this guy again? You know? Exactly. <laughs> so, so I had that real identity crisis my freshman year of, I was a captain on the football team. 
my dad was a high school coach. My dad was well-known in the area. He's in the Oklahoma Hall of Fame as well. And everybody knows who I am. I never leave the field. I play both sides of the ball to now I'm a red shirt, kind of feel like a scrub, right? And you just practice and you get beat up on and F-bombed and, you know, SOB'd by your coaching staff. And you're just trying to survive and figure it out. And ultimately was able to get on the field my second year, traveled, played, got to do all those things to kind of scratch the itch. Got to be a part of a Rose Bowl championship team. Got to go to the national championship game against LSU in the Superdome. So had some really cool experiences. At that point, it was kind of like, well, God allowed me to achieve that goal, but he needed me to get somewhere else. And that's ended up, long story short, transferred to Harding University, meet my wife, everything changed. You know, it's just something about meeting a woman or meeting your other half that just changes your, your life and your aspects. I'm, I'm tooting your wife's horn in my own <laughs> right now. And I'm glad that you mentioned that as well. You have a beautiful family to, and that's an understatement. I mean, I just love watching you be a family guy. I really love that. And, you know, of course, naturally you just are fresh off of a family trip. You know, talk a little bit about what it means to you uh, to just be that head of your household, right? And to be a godly man, a husband, a father. Talk about one, what that means to you, um, you know, what, how that drives you and motivates you to be what the young men need to, you know, get them ready to be like daddy. Well, I think it's so important in our world today. And, you know, it's Father's Day week, right? We got Father's Day as we're recording this three days from now. That's right. Um, so I happen to be blessed in a way to have three children right now, all of whom are males. I say that's a blessing at times. At times, it's not a blessing. At times, you're like, hey, you know, we got too much testosterone up in here. Um, but by contrast, my wife has a sister and she didn't have any brothers. So this mm. is new for her. For me, I have two younger brothers and, a, and a, the fourth of us is a little sister. I'm the oldest of four. So having three boys in the house, very familiar for me. Uh, I was blessed to have a great father in, in my dad and he was blessed to have a great father in his dad. But that's where it started was my grandfather. So my grandfather didn't know his real dad well. Uh, he was just kind of like a, he was off in the distance. He, he met him once randomly, but it was not any presence in his life. And growing up, like our last name didn't mean much until my grandpa chose to let it mean something. And so for me, growing up as a kid in a small town with expectations with, um, you know, everybody, my dad worked at the high school, my mom's a teacher. So if I screwed up, it was going to reflect poorly on our name and I was going to you know, know about it quickly or everybody's gonna know about it quickly. So that's the way I grew up. I grew up in a way that's like, hey, a good reputation is hard to gain and easy to lose. So as I now have three sons that are ages eight, five and seven months, it's one of those things where I look at it now and I'm like, man, I know what I was given as a dad when I was a kid. And I feel like it's an obligation and a responsibility to do everything I can to give them what I had and try to find ways to give them more. And so, you know, I grew up, like I said, one stop wide Oklahoma. They're growing up in the suburbs of Dallas, Texas in a far more affluent situation. They're, they have access to more things. It's a faster pace down here. So that comes with a new set of challenges to where we have to be intentional more so probably than my parents were when it comes to priorities and rhythms and keeping things in perspective because down here, like, you know, you mentioned Brandon and I'm doing the podcast. That, that's born out of us coaching our sons together. And youth sports in Dallas, Texas, especially football, it's psychotic. 
I mean, really, I'm just going to- I can only imagine. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it. It's like the expectations, the intensity of it, and, you know, church and doing the right things and trying to have a life outside of that can get lost very quickly. So for me, being a godly man or pursuing that is that I want my sons to always know a couple of things. One, that they are more than their performance in sports. Like first and foremost, like we love sports. Sports are great. Yay. But I am proud of you and I love you. If you decide you don't want to do this anymore, we'll find something else we'd like to do together. We'd like to go hunting. We like to go fishing. We have, we try to keep it, keep it moving for our kids so that we have opportunities. Like I wasn't a big hunter growing up. Everybody hunted around me, my dad, my brother, my grandpa. I just thought it was boring because I was in a, I was in a small town. It didn't change my pace at all. Well, my sons happen to love being out in the woods and do all those things. And for them, it's like, it's different. It's exciting. It's a change of pace. So I had some really awesome conversations last fall with my oldest sitting in a deer stand, freezing our butt off, but we were able to whisper and talk and just kind of like pour in. So wow. I think what, what to me, being a godly man is more about like just being present and intentional with my wife before my mm -hmm. sons. So that mm -hmm. they see what a healthy marriage is supposed to look like. Come on. And then awesome. Also being able to be not just present, but actively present, which is a very big challenge. I do a lot of work off my phone as I'm sure all of yeah. us do. And you know, it, it's a blurred line for our kids is, hey, are you on Twitter or are you doing emails? They don't know the difference. You're right. So there's a lot of challenges with that, but at the heartbeat of all of it is I want my kids to feel valued and loved and be able to see that, especially as they are boys, that there's a need in this world for male leadership and strong male leaders. And I want to try to you know, prepare them for whatever God has before them. I love that. Oh my goodness, I love that. And I think that that is the best thing. Sometimes uh, Willie Spears, he's a servant leader. He'll say this often, we have to learn to win at home. And so often, much like what you say, you know, we have business to send to within our professional worlds, within, you know, our day-to-day -day lives that sometimes it's, you know, we don't try to, but we get home and it's like, oh, I'm tired or, or have something else to do. And I love how you make it a priority uh, to be able to demonstrate, right? Not just doing it to do it, but that is how you walk your walk so that your boys can see firsthand what you saw. But I love what you said best. You said that a reputation is easy, it's, it's um, hard to gain, but easy to lose. And you also said that a name is a name until you make it mean something. And, and that was powerful for me. Uh, like they say, what's in a name? That is very powerful for me because just like you said, your boys, they will have a, a legacy memories, people who will remember their father, David Walker, people who remember their grandfather and their great-grandfather. You know, I'll see some people now, it's not just the name, it's the genes in my family. They're strong. And, I, you know, I'll be somewhere within my, you know, hometown, my grandparents' hometown, and they'll say, you're one of those muse kids. And it gives me great pride, right? Because yes, you can recognize it by my face, but please understand that if I'm not doing something to uphold that name, this face also could bring it, you know, a negative aspect. And so I think that's great, David. I really, really do. Yeah, it's you funny know, you say that. I was gonna, not to cut you no, off. No, go. My dad and I look so much alike um, that I've grown up my whole life having that like visual identifier. You know, even if it sure. is, you know, I was like, you must be, yes, I am. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. And my sons yeah. get the same with me. But we were walking out of the Cotton Bowl Stadium last year, OU Texas game. It's four overtime. It's hot. And we're like just dying on the vine out there. We're trying to get some water. <laughs> and we walk out. And, and this lady stops me in, in the on the ramp walking out of the stadium. She's like, you must be Jerry Walker's son. Are, are, are you are you the oldest? And I was like, well, and, my, and Beckham, my oldest, he's looking at me. He was just like, 
What? Like, how is this possible? <laughs> Who is she and how does she possibly know this? So he's learning that the genes also run strong in our family. So it is, there's a lot sure. of different ways we get identified and, and look back in, so. For sure. I get it all the time, not just with my grandfather, but my mom. I am the spinning image, much like how you look like your father. Your boys do look like you. Um, I, I, when I look at their pictures, I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, but yes, that same resemblance, when you see my mom, it's like somebody said, oh my God, you stole her face. It's just like, we've even been out of town and she's gone to a, a store or a restaurant prior to me. I go, I've gone later on that day and somebody's like, weren't you just, no, were you just in here? It's a lady that looked just like you in here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I get to the point now where even when people stare, I know what the stare means. And I say, yes, uh -huh. I am. Yes, well, I am. <laughs> and to take it to church for just a minute, because I, I think it's okay to I do that. I love that. Okay. Um, you know, when you, when you talk about just like physical resemblance and how people identify, I think that when you talk, going back to your original question about being, why it's important to be a godly man or, or strive for that. Because when I say I'm a godly man, that means I'm in pursuit of being a godly man. Come that on. doesn't mean that I am, I've obtained some status that like, oh, you know, oh, David, you know, he's, he's that guy. I, I try to be that guy. I hope people look at me and say, hey, he lives his life differently. And there's things about him that I, I can see that I'm curious about. And I want to have more conversations to see what's going on over there. Mm -hmm. But I, I think at the end of the day, like when we talk about reflections is I want my kids to see that, you know, they might look like me physically, but I want them to see that I reflect Christ and I don't just necessarily reflect the genes of my last name, but that my lifestyle reflects the walk of my dad, who's an elder at my home church and my grandfather, who up until a couple of years ago had been an elder at that church for 30 years, roughly. Yeah. Um, and my, and my, uh, my mom's dad, who was a preacher and, and an elder, like, I want them to see like, hey, my my goal is to one follow christ two i i'm blessed in ways that i know some aren't and i'm and i'm grateful for this that i'm blessed that i was able to have modeled male christian leadership you know had had that my whole life so i i want to honor that in a way that says hey man look god gave you this faith heritage this platform this foundation mm -hmm. that your grandfather didn't have and he was able to find it through the grace of god and he's left it for you now you've got these three boys in your house. Why do you want to be a godly man? Well, because you want to model Christ and you want to reflect that. You don't just want to reflect the gen genetics and the, the sports success and those things are fleeting, but you want to instill in them that, hey, we might physically look like, but let's all try to look like Jesus because that's the end game. David, David, David. That was right on time and golden. I'm telling you. And, it's, and I'm going to tell you why. One, it's right on time because that was spot on. I love how you bridge that gap. But it was also, according to people know this, they're going to get to a point where they're going to know what I'm going to say. But Christine Kane, I love her. Um, and one of the things she was talking about this morning um, was the aroma of Christ, right? And it's amazing how, just like what you said, that resemblance, how people can pinpoint it because you look like your father. Well, you want people to recognize that you look like your heavenly father too, you know? And in that moment, when we're doing that, do we leave the fragrance and the sentiments of who he is when we finish talking to people, when we just say hello, right? Sometimes we think it's a big grand gesture that we have to do to be like Christ. And what it really is, is just simply being that aroma of him, that resemblance of him. He spoke, he said, good morning. He didn't treat people as if they were up here or down here. They, he treated everybody the same. And I think that is so golden how you bridge that gap. 
that if we can do that, if we could, you know, I always used to say, I want to make my granddaddy proud. I want to make my grandpa proud. And can we imagine if just, I tell people I strive all the time that I want to make my father, my heavenly father proud. What type of, you know, push that gives us on a day-to-day basis. That's golden, David. That's golden. <laughs> now, of course, you know, when we do try though, to make those proud and to, you know, of course, walk in the way that Christ would have us to walk within our lives, there definitely have been some obstacles. There definitely have been challenges that kind of come. Can you talk about maybe one, some of those challenges, but not so much as in depth of that challenge, but what they taught you, how they ignited you to be able to learn how to have that, you know, bounce back, that resilience that kind of helps push you to what you're doing right now. Yeah, I think what what I've learned about adversity, if that's kind of where you're what, what you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Is and we're blessed in the sports world that we get to face adversity. We get to have it presented to us and and like set in front of us all the time to try to overcome it to achieve. Right from a very young age, it's there's that little league team you're trying to beat that they're the adversary. They're like that that team from the movies that they're always win the championship. And you're trying to catch them. <laughs> that's right. Get a little older, and it's that kid that. A, a couple towns over in your conference that you want to try to get him. And, you know, then you just progress. You always have that adversity. There's that somebody you're trying to, to overcome in sports that there's a, a program that you're trying to catch in college sports. They've dominated your league. All those, we, we can go on all day with those analogies, but I feel like they're on a personal level. Like there was a lot of adversity for me to, to prove that I belonged wherever I was. Um, so starting at Oklahoma, it, it, it started there for me as a walk-on is like, okay, I didn't get the signing day. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm one of like the, I'm sharing the locker with another guy. Um, I don't have everything here given to me. Like you get, I have to fight for an extra wristband. You know, you get all the gear. I'm, I'm just getting what they give me. I get the bare minimum, but right. I'm going to show you that I belong here. Um, and, and I was able to do that. But then at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I did that. That was cool that didn't fill me up. Like I thought it was going to, you know, so I overcame the adversity and I got the accomplishment of like the satisfaction of proving myself. I could play on this field. I could play on this team. We could go to these big bowl games. I could get all that experience, but it didn't do everything for me. Well, then I go into the college coaching world and it's like, okay, I want to go to the college world because man, you know what? There's a lot of pressure to follow my dad in the high school world. Cause he's winning state championships and doing his thing. And like, he's, he's a legend. And I don't necessarily want to have that weight. I don't, you know, want to pursue that per se. Um, but also my dad always told me, hey, if you want to coach, go into the college game, you know, higher financial upside, you get to recruit your own kids. I think you'd be good at recruiting. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to be fun. So I, I went that path. Well, in so doing, I'm thinking like, I want to be a head coach, right? Like if you're going to get into college coaching, the old, I think for most all of us, you want to ultimately call the shots, run your program, do the things, right? So as I was coaching at Harding University, we're, we're on the way up and we'd never been to the NCAA tournament, never won a, a championship of any kind. And we find ourselves 29 and one, ranked number two in the nation, hosted the NCAA regional and got upset in the first round, but won the league, got rings, did all that stuff. And it's like, okay, overcame adversity, but like, I'm not happy. You know, I was happy for the kids, but professionally, I wasn't filled up. Yeah. I was frustrated thinking what's next. And so I, I kind of found all these different ways in athletics. It's like, okay, what does adversity teach me? Well, it teaches me how to persevere and overcome, but it also shows me every time I do that, there's something there that's not fulfilled. And why is that? Well, because 
that's a that's an earthly gain. You mm, know? Come that's on, the, that's a thing that's like it, it's there to teach us life lessons, but it's not there to give us ultimate fulfillment and contentment. So there's a reason that everything has a shelf life of enjoyment. Cutting down the nets, celebrating, all that stuff is great in the moment. But when you sit back, you know, time goes by, new challenges arise, new adversity to overcome, and you're and you're not filled up anymore. So I think that's what you know. I've learned about adversity in different ways is that it's it's there to teach you things. It's there to to give you a um, kind of what I call like a a bank account with God in a sense that where you have all these all these checkpoints of your life that you overcome things, all these battles you go through. And you know he leads you in and out of them. Then you build up this equity with him of trust and relationship that you draw upon the next time you face adversity, knowing all the while that it's through the outcome eternally that this is all worth it and all makes sense. So that to me is what adversity, I think through sports has kind of taught me is that yes, we overcome, yes, we push through, but we don't need to expect that whatever is on the other side of that overcoming from a, a tangible standpoint here is going to be the end all be all for us. First of all, that was like the perfect, the perfectly wrapped gift with the bow tied on top, take the scissors, make the ribbon turn up because I've never heard that. Like, you know, you find yourself a lot of times leaders. We do, we, we learn kind of from the same people. So some of the same, um, you know, quotes and, 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 you know, things that we say, they kind of repeat themselves. Doesn't make its flavor lose any, but you have just said something that I've never heard that I have down here. I was trying to write really, really fast to get it. But I think that's so amazing. You said, first of all, you, you talked about that everything, every moment that we go through has a shelf life of enjoyment. And I love that because we all, especially with them in sports, have met people who will hold on to glory days and glory moments for years for eons if you let them you know and it's like okay that's great but are we gonna move on they hold on to that so much so sometimes we have coaches we have leaders who are holding on to moments and then they start to press those things off on the next generation that they're coaching and trying to lead and projecting those same things but what you said that has pierced me on this day that I know that is going to truly like now live in my heart on a said that adversity it gives us a almost like a bank account with God I love that to be able to withdraw 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 to be able to build equity in him so that we're able to trust him more and more each time that we make that withdrawal through the adversity I've never heard that that way I think well, that's so golden and it hit me well when you when you look at it that way also you kind of touched on this briefly is the idea of like pushing other things on to the next generation right mm -hmm. I think the danger and look I I umpired little league baseball games from the age of 15 all the way through college so at a young age I watched a lot of dads specifically dads sometimes moms and grandmas out there in the stands in the lawn chairs being chirpy but I watched <laughs> these people pour in to their kid to a negative because they needed their kid to justify something that they didn't do that's right? it they're putting so much pressure on them and so i think it's important for another way when you look at sports specifically and you know most of us on this podcast are in the in the sporting world i would imagine and, and a lot of us have kids a lot of us have teams of course mm -hmm. that we've got these kids and we're pouring into them and that's great like i want my kids to have all the opportunities i want them to be able to pursue their dreams 
Um, my, my kids like sports. That's cool. I, I like that they like sports, but at the same time, you know, and Brandon and I've had this conversation a lot uh, offline when we were getting the podcast rolling and stuff. It, obviously, he's played in the NFL for 13 years, and he has a different level of things for his kids to live up to than, than mine, certainly. Um, but it's the, the idea that I tell my sons all the time, like, look, I will help you. If anything you want to do, I'm going to help you as much as I can, as long as what? And they'll say, as long as I want it. Great. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, I'm establishing at six, seven, eight years old, you want this, not me. I don't want this for you. You want this for yourself. Because if there's ever a day that I want it more than you, it's going to damage our relationship. Mm -hmm. And so being able to have that equity with God, that trust and that, and that assurance and that being where you are storing your treasures up, well, then it's really easy, or maybe not easy, easier, because it's never easy. When it's your kid, you want the best for them. That's going to be, and Chelsea, right. you're about to find that out, girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. you, want, you don't want to see them hurt. You want to see them happy. You want to see them excited, celebrate. You want all those things for them, but you know sports is going to hit them in the mouth. It's going to mm -hmm. bloody their nose more often than not. And so that's fine. That's great for them. But I, I feel like it's easier when you have that perspective to be able to say, all right, like, I'm going to, I want you to pursue these things. I'm going to support you, but I'm not going to live vicariously through you because all of my stuff is not in your performance. My stuff is in our relationship and your performance is going to help you along the way, learn about life, but it's not going to make me love you more because mm -hmm. like this, that's not what this is about. So I think that's when you're filled up that way and you're, and you're investing and you are keeping that perspective, then you're not going to put stuff that's unhealthy expectations on your kids. I think that's golden. And yes, I was thinking the same way, even down to certain things. And people are like, oh, yeah, she's going to be a baller just like you. And I'm like, maybe she won't. And that'll be fine. You know, at the end of the day, I just we want, like you said, we want what's best for them already. Like, I don't even see her on the outside, but knowing what I have to do now, what I have to sacrifice to make sure she's good. Right. That I got to sometimes put down that two piece, you know, and get a salad, <laughs> you know, but we do. And I, I think that you you literally laid that out so golden to us as leaders of any capacity. We have to truly keep that in mind. Um, and I love that mantra that you have for your young men that, you know, you want what they want and want it for them as long as they want it. And, and so often we can misguide that to those that we lead, right? From our children on down to our athletes to you know, employees, whatever the case may be, we can be so quick to try to lead them. And it's like, is that really what they even wanted in the first place? You know, so I think that is a great point that you made that should resound over and over to our listeners. You know, we had um, quite a few servant leaders and I talked to Dr. Kiki Baker Barnes the other day and she was saying that as servant leaders, we have to make sure that we're in tune with God so that he can actually help us to find that gift in those that we're leading. And we can enhance that gift. And when you do that authentically, when you do that not for self-gain, what you'll find is adding value to them will then add value to you or your organization. That's golden. That's golden. <laughs> yeah, and you, you all always get as much as you give in this deal, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, some of my favorite things about coaching college basketball we're watching kids that I recruited out of high school achieve great things. Several of them found their husbands in that process. Mm -hmm. They're married, they're living different lives. And some of the most proud things is when they'll reach back, hey, can I use you as a reference? And I'm like, why are you even asking me this? Of course, like how many times yeah. have you asked me? I told you last time, don't ask me anymore, just do it. Like, But that stuff like that's, when you invest in people, 
the, the, I don't know if it's pride that you feel in their success, but whatever that is, I mean, maybe that's what it's, that it's what it is, but whatever that, that feeling is when you see somebody else achieve something well, because you invest in them and you're Mm -hmm. serving them in that way. um, That's, I found that to be just as satisfying, if not more so than anything I ever achieved on my own. I agree. And I think it is all of that. I think it is the pride. I think it is the joy. I think it's all that. And I think it's also that fulfillment that you know that you've done, authentically done what you were called to do for that person in that moment. And I think that's a true art of servant leadership, truly. You know, and of course, naturally, I am rocking this Iron Horse podcast right with pride because that's great great. subscribe thank you i'm subscribed to the pod um it's almost like you know i was pregnant too it was awesome it was like yes it's this fits it's what i need yes there you go um (laughs) but it's it's perfect because it even stems off of one of my favorite scriptures i know you and brandon love it as well that iron sharpens iron and that is what you just explained within that you know with your players and with you know, your family, with your sons, all of that, that we have to be sharp to help others become sharp and to keep doing that and create better leaders. And so before we talk about the Iron Horse podcast, I want to talk a little bit about how you sharpen your iron on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, being a dad, being a, a husband, all your work endeavors, it's easy for us to run on E and not even know it. You know, yeah. sometimes we get so used to our schedules and hey, I just got to get it done. We don't recognize that it's time to revamp ourselves. So what are some of the things you do, rather it be in your word, your devotion, going for a run? What are some things you do to ensure that you not only stay physically fit, but how do you stay spiritually fit and keep your iron sharp to make everybody else sharp around you? Oh, man. Uh, Well, I would say before I dive into things I do, I would always say that it's not enough. Uh, I don't think it's ever enough. I think there's always that, that feeling of like, man, am I, you know, am I doing, when I lay my head down at night, many times I'm like, man, did I feed myself enough spiritually today? Cause I know I ate Chelsea. I know I ate enough. I do that. <laughs> I do that well. um, so, you know, I, I have, that's to me, especially, you know, when it comes to spending time specifically in the word, what I found is there's a lot of different ways to do that. Uh, I grew up in a, in a world where it's like, Hey, you got to open up that Bible and you got to flip through it and that's, you sit down and get quiet and get, and, and I think that we got away from that a lot with the app, uh, life church got the Bible app and it's awesome. I'm sure all of us have it. And, yeah. and we all, a lot of us use it at church. We, we didn't have to bring our Bibles anymore. It's great. You know, I don't have to lug that thing around and mine's barely hanging together. Anyway, my grandma got it for me in 98. I still, still keep the same one. Cause it's got my grandma's handwriting in it. That's so it. So I, I, there's a part of me that's like, okay, well, I can read the Bible anytime I want to. I can open that thing up and use the, you know, search and all that stuff, and it's awesome. But what I find is when I, if I rely on that and I start pulling that thing up, I get a text pop up. I want to check my email. I, out of habit, start opening up a social media app, and I yep. am down a rabbit hole faster than anything, right? So I've looked at a lot of different alternative things of. Um, worship music, big hill song guy, uh, love all that stuff. Um, try to pipe that stuff in. I'll even um, listen to sermons. Uh, I have a lot of uh, preachers that I really enjoy that I get challenged by that are outside of my home church and my home church here in Dallas, Jamin Roller is fantastic, uh, the, the church I go to. But I feel like Sunday morning sermons aren't enough for me. So I try to supplement throughout the week with that. Either that's on my drive 
on a walk, uh, even on, a, on the elliptical or during the lift, I'll, I, will, I can stay engaged in that because what I found has been a negative for me is um, you know, I, don't, I don't like uh, modern secular music per se a lot. Like I'm not really, it doesn't, doesn't fill me up anymore. So I'm not, I'm kind of out of touch on all those things. So sometimes I get in that workout room, I'm like, man, what am I going to listen to? And I start default to like 2000s rock and roll or hard rock or stuff I listen to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I try to distract, uh, keep myself from being distracted by um, secular intake that's not helping me. And I feel like the, that in and of itself has been one of the best things I've done is try to block out that clutter from invading so that I can kind of keep my, keep myself uh, upright in my thought process but probably more as much or more than all those things is having a few good quality friends that you can have consistent spiritual dialogue with. And it doesn't mean that every day you're going to have some deep dive therapy session with them, but you just know that they're a safe place for you that you can be vulnerable and honest and real with, and you have healthy text threads and conversations occasionally and, and, you know, back patio conversations. And that to me, just the, the circle that you keep, uh, I find that, you know, Chelsea, I turned 38 on uh, Flag Day, which if you're wondering what Flag Day is, it's June 14th, man. It's a holiday now. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, man. But I, I turned 38 this week. And I, as the older I've gotten, and probably as I started getting into my 30s, I found myself having less and less interest in having trivial relationships and trying to have a lot of surface level relationships with people that aren't going to fill me up or aren't going to encourage me to keep on the track I'm trying to stay on. So I think keeping a tighter circle a little bit that you can be vulnerable to and accountable to is huge in spiritual formation right now. I would agree. I couldn't agree more with that. I think that, you know, one, everything that you said is the same. You know, I was laughing because mine is right here. I have to hold it tight so pages don't fall out. But it is, it is something about, you know, just the word in any form, fine. But it's something about being able to just open up the good book, as they say, and there isn't a distraction. It's just like a text isn't going to slide across this book, you know, being able to truly go back and just sit, you know, uh, Joyce Myers, another one I listened to, and she said, it. she said, honestly, guys, if I'm, if I'm being honest, whether you watch me on whatever platform, if you listen to me on my podcast, watch me on TV, whatever case may be, she said, I'm saying this with everything in me. I would almost rather you open up your Bible get truly deep in him and ask him to let the same verse that I had you look at today resonate to you the way he wants it to. And I think that that also is a great component to your quiet time or devotional time. You know, when sometimes I'll listen to sermons just like you, um, that's great, but I'll ask God, okay, take me back. And then what did you want me to receive from that? You know, I had started watching Manifest. I was telling the speakers on this week, I started watching Manifest. Um, I saw it. It always looked good. It's just on my schedule. I can't watch TV. I can't be on a It's the summer for me now. And I'm watching things and catching up on things. And you find that, you know, not to give it away to those that haven't watched it, but it's amazing how multiple people could have the same calling or vision as what they say, but it meant something different for what their job was to do or how they were to interpret it. And I think that is amazing for all of us that you don't just limit yourself to your home church, right? That's great. I love my pastor. I love my home church. But to be able to, which this pandemic truly showed us if we didn't know, we can walk into the church in, in any world, right? Any place in the world right now, because they're accessible to us. 
and to be able to continue to stay sharp. But most of all, what you said is that circle. I think that completes that iron sharpens iron. Who can I lean on, right? Who is going to help me to be able to, when I have a bad day and I'm coming off track or I have a good day and I'm trying to discern if this move is right to make, who can I know that's going to be praying for me when I don't even ask? Who can I know that's going to basically, I'll look at my phone. I'm so grateful to have those people. I look at my phone sometimes and it's always going to be, you know, from Coach Paul. I'm going to get a scripture every morning. It's always going to be from certain server leaders. I'm going to get a quote, hey, just thought you need this pick me up, maybe a song. And when you have that circle, when you have those people, some call them board of directors, right? I always say who occupies the seats at your table, but they fulfill that iron sharpening your iron. Because you can be sharp iron, but if you're around dull people, quickly you will dull yourself. You can work on being sharp every day, but if you continuously sharpen dullness, you can get dull. And so I think that's golden, David. I think Well, and it's also, I've been blessed to live in the Dallas Metroplex where it's far more diverse than the community I grew up in. Um, Mm -hmm. But just being able to have life experiences that have enabled me to have conversations about faith, about Jesus, about the church at large, about the work of God throughout the world. Uh, I've been blessed to be able to travel to some places I would have only dreamed of and worship in different, a few different countries to see, and why I feel like that's been so helpful to me is the worldview around me has shifted bigger than what I knew as a child. Mm-hmm. And I, I was taught some great foundational truths as a child, but the way, and you kind of talked about this just a second ago, and I, I just want to bring this up, that the spirit and the scriptures are going to speak to us how God wants us to hear it individually mm-hmm. or the plans that he has for us. And that's a really big thing that I don't think we spend enough time thinking about because, you know, this country is full of a lot of different denominations. A lot of them think that we're right. A lot of us think that this one, I agree with them on that. I don't like that they do this. And, and we have all this dissension in the, the church in the West because of preferences. And I think I've understood it best. And I want you to understand it just like I do. And the reality is like, I don't know that I don't know that God speaks to all of us the exact same way. And I don't think we're all going to interpret every single scripture the exact same way. And I think once we start to have more conversations with people outside of our bubble, mm-hmm. whether you grew up Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, uh, Church of Christ, like I did, uh, wherever those things are, when you start to get outside of that, whatever bubble you grew up in, uh, spiritually speaking, have more conversations with those around you, what you start to find is more grace for each other. And I feel like yes. it's a I think that's something that, you know, as coaches, we coach kids. I mean, I was at Harding University, which is a school that's affiliated with Churches of Christ. And yet the first team I coached, we had we had a Mormon girl, Catholic girl, Baptist, Methodist, Church of Christ, non-denomination. We had on a roster of 13 kids, we had like eight different backgrounds, spiritually speaking, at a Christian university, right? Well, we weren't all going to interpret scripture the same way. Okay, cool. Well, let's let's like let's talk through that stuff. Let's learn from each other. Let's give grace for uh, mm-hmm. disagreements or, you know, and so once we start to kind of get a bigger picture of what the, you know, when we coach these athletes, like, Hey, I'm going to live my life in a way that I'm going to show them that faith is real to me and that I believe in Jesus and I'm going to have conversations with them. But the goal isn't necessarily to, to win the arguments. The goal is to be like Jesus and to show Jesus to this world and to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. I feel like that through sports, we have a unique opportunity to get influence with our, these, these young athletes and be able to send out these sharp arrows into adult society. 
but sometimes I feel like the, the Western church has muddied the water with so many different names on buildings, so many different arguments between the two of them, you know, that yeah. they don't unify, that it's really, you know, uh, it's extinguished the flame in a lot of ways that has led to some of the cultural issues that we are so frustrated by today. For sure. And a lot of it's that we couldn't get on the same page to do certain things. And this is sometimes a byproduct of that. So now, you know, we end up being a little bit more of a messy world and yet, okay, God's not surprised by this, you know? Mm-hmm. So all this like panic and what are we going to do? It's, everything's getting kind of crazy. Who cares? Run your race. Agree. Scripture speak to you. Come on. You know, let's let scripture speak to you. I mean, Christine Kane, you mentioned her. Christine Kane is the first female preacher I've sat and been like challenged by in my life. And it was in Atlanta, Georgia, Catalyst Convention. And I believe it was 2013. And she talked about that, like that baton of the next generation of running your race and, and running and handing that baton off and helping that generation be prepared to receive it when you give it to them. And so I think there's a lot of things that, you know, we can do better. A lot of things that are going to require us to um, to have more conversations, to be able to get outside of our bubbles, whether that's, um, like I said, like denominationally speaking, whether that's uh, sports, get out of your, if you only coach basketball, talk to football coaches, talk to other coaches on campus, get together, get out of your bubble, get out of your comfort zone. And, uh, and I think that's where the differences are made. I think that's golden. And then of course, nationally, you sum that thing up with the way that run your race. That's one of the things that I consistently, that's, that's like my push, right? If you were to see some steam fuming behind me on an everyday basis, because I think so often, you know, Steve Harvey, he will say this and I love it because most people won't look at Steve Harvey. When you, if you look at his inspirational nuggets, one of the things he's doing more and more of is tapping into, you know, the inspirational portions of what he learns and what his faith and challenges has taught him. And he always talks about, you know, just simply the car. We've heard this before that why is the windshield bigger than the rearview mirror? And so if we're so quick to look behind us or look beside in our other lane, we can't run our race. We're going to crash outside of our lane, you know, and in running our race, what we'll find is you have to, just what you say, it's going to be interpretations to the word differently. Why? Because our lives are different. Our calls are different. Our missions are different. You know, I always talk about, you know, when we truly get to that place and are able to meet Christ, we're going to laugh so hard at ourselves about how hard we make this life. It's really going to be like, you know, David, Chelsea, you know, listen, this is what the path was supposed to be for you. This is what you did, you know, it's almost like when you teach or you coach and you're like, that's not what I drew. That's not a play I drew up for you. You did all of this and all you had to do is this. And so I think it's amazing, but I think more than anything that you said, especially in the times of these worlds is it's, it's amazing when we can give grace to the differences, because what you'll find is one, you're going to, you're going to learn from everybody else, right? You're going to be able to learn how to communicate with others. But as we spoke about Christine Kane, one of the things she always says is, you know, what does it help us as Christians and as servant leaders to only talk to other Christians, to only talk to people who believe what we believe? How do we ever feel that that going back to the aroma or going back to the resemblance? How does the resemblance, you looking like your dad, me looking like my mom, how does that resemblance find itself somewhere else? How does that aroma to another room? 
if we won't leave the place where we are. Yep. Yeah. That's, and that's the old, um, a city on a hill. Come on. Come uh, on. But it, it's, you can't, you can't expose darkness with light if you're not willing to step into the dark, dark Come places. On, David. But that's, but you know what though, Chelsea, a lot of us grow up in ways where it's like, Hey, you don't go be a part of that crowd. It, yeah. It's a fine line there. Right. I mean, so I don't think at 14, 15, 16 years old, I probably didn't need to be a part of that crowd. I probably didn't have a strong enough light necessarily at that point or the maturity and the wisdom and the perspective as a teenager to be able to handle those situations well. So there was probably a lot of wisdom in the messaging of that to kids that, you know, evil companions, corrupt good morals, all that good stuff. Like there's, there's some truth in that. However, the more mature you get spiritually, you are being equipped to step into those dark spaces and be, be confident enough that God's got your back on it, that you're not going to stumble and fall because he's not going to lead you somewhere that he can't sustain you in. Mm. So I think that's, that is a challenge because it's, it almost goes against something. Sometimes what we, what we were taught is like, Hey, you know, I can't be in that place because it reflects poorly on me. Well, it's like, you know what, man, Jesus said with a lot of people that people would look down on today. They say, Oh, why is he spending time with that crew? You know, isn't he supposed to be at that big church down the road that has, you know, 10,000 members? Why is he out in the streets talking to these people that are pretty sketchy? Because that's where Jesus would be. There it is. Concern himself with the people that are in worship and pouring out. Like, that's great. Like, I need to go find these lost sheep. And that's, I think that's a challenge for us sometimes is it is much easier. And I mentioned earlier, having a tight circle that you can be fed by. It is more comfortable to stay there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think in kind of going back to the adversity question, all the growth points in my life have been when I've stepped out of my comfort zone, right? Um, yeah. So you you don't grow when you're comfortable. You grow when you're challenged and when you're pushed. And I just think that, um, you know, we are in an exciting time to me in this world to be Christians. Mm-hmm. Because for the first time I find or that I can see in, in American history, being a Christian, truly following Christ, trying to model Christ, trying to servant lead, it's finally countercultural. It's finally mm-hmm. becoming countercultural because look, I mean, let's just call it like it is. This, this thing was built to be, uh, you know, to be supportive of Christian dynamics in a lot of ways. Like there's a lot of laws that were put in place that, you know, if you're a Bible believing person, you're like, Hey, this kind of makes me feel comfortable because the laws of the land kind of coincide with what I see about scripture. Not mm-hmm. always. We don't have a perfect law, legal system and we never have, never will. But the point being is that it was very easy to, to slip into Sunday service because everybody seemed to be doing it, you mm-hmm. know? And now in take, you know, talking about spiritual things, like it didn't make you stand out. It didn't make you feel, you know, ostracized. And you definitely weren't going to um, lose your job for, for mm-hmm. sharing the word in the classroom. My grandmother was teaching. Right. You know, teachers are, everybody on here has to you know, there's certain things you can say and certain things you can, and there's platforms you can share it on, platforms you can't. And, and so we, we live in this world now where it's finally like when somebody is authentically a Jesus follower, it finally feels different. And to me, like that's, that's exciting from the standpoint that the early church we read about in Acts and in Hebrews, that what they were doing, what they were subjected to in Hebrews 11 and 12 about, you know, the things they were subjected to by the Romans. Mm-hmm. We've never really, even today, we can't identify with that, but we can identify with it a little bit more than somebody that maybe lived in this country hundred years ago can. Yes. So I think we're starting to finally get there where it's like living for Jesus and putting that on the line, like 
You talk about servant leadership. Let's talk about it. To live as Christ and to die as gain. Well, that's countercultural. To servant lead, to lead for the standpoint of not promotions and success, but to lead for somebody else's sake. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, sometimes we think, well, to live is to live my best life so that I can achieve everything that I'm meant to achieve here. I can maximize my potential. I can fulfill my calling. I can be the best version of me. And we have all these, you know, all these different sections of our country obsessed with earthly identities. And that comes in a lot of different forms, Mm -hmm. Um, professionally, sexually, uh, genetically, all you just go down the line, right? We're obsessed with finding the best version of us. Mm-hmm. And God's basically saying like, hey, the best version of you is with me one day after this life. And so like, sometimes I don't think we really understand that scripture in a way it's like to live as Christ and to die as gain. We feel like to die is like, you know, sometimes we kind of get so consumed with our day to day that to die is like the, the bummer because mm-hmm. maybe we died too soon. We didn't get to fulfill what we thought we were supposed to do in this life. And I think that's where servant leadership becomes so countercultural is that, you know, the, the world is set up in a way that you advance, you advance, you advance. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's a different message when you're coming at it from, I'm, a, I'm trying to help other people advance by serving them well. And one day, not here, but one day somewhere else, far from here, that's where the game comes for me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have said any better. And you just, you just made my life easier because you know, I don't have to ask that question, but I think that's so golden, right? You know, there was a song when I was a kid, you know, grew up in an old country Baptist church. And, you know, most people we've been here before, but it says, I'm living this life to live again. And I think we forget that, all right? For our, all believers, you know, it's not, like you said, we have our own agenda to climb, to climb, to climb, to gain, to gain, to gain. But I love how you put that. I know what my gain is for me. And, 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 and when, I, when I know that, my moves are different, right? When I know that leading others and helping others to achieve their best self, to recognize their calling, to recognize their talents, to recognize their purpose, right? When we're able to do that, everything else will take care of itself because we've done, we've done what God has called us to do, right? And we know that that real reward isn't here, right? Sometimes we have things we enjoy, Sometimes we are honored and receive accolades here, but the true fulfillment and the true gain as you placed it is later. And that's when we can strive for that, right? That makes our moves authentic. That allows us to move to help others before we're trying to have self gain. They open, man. Yeah, well, and Chelsea, sometimes we, we can get overwhelmed by who we are supposed to serve and lead because- you know, the scripture of the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Sometimes uh-huh. that can be like, if you internalize that, it's like, well, man, the harvest is so big and I'm just one person. How, wh- where do I start to make this difference? And we get paralyzed by it. And oftentimes we have all these great intentions. We don't know where to use them. And so the easiest thing to do is nothing at all. And to mm-hmm. think, man, I wish I could make a better difference. I wish I had people I could impact. And, and you know, professionally speaking for me, I, I was kind of faced with a situation in the past year where I was in a leadership role in my company where I had a team underneath me of, of recruiting doctors that they reported to me. And, and in that role, it stood to better me financially to be in that type of a role. But I didn't have the bandwidth to do that and do the other things I want to do. 
because mm-hmm. my passions of leadership are not in a corporate setting. I do a corporate job to provide an income and, and a lifestyle that I can afford myself the opportunity to go and get in the mission field that I feel most called to. And right now for me, I'm trying to have the concept of, I have one of my best friends in the world, his name's Caleb Panner, um, was a longtime minister in Atlanta, just took a job here at Fellowship Church in Dallas. And he's talked about the concept of living on mission. So I had to phrase, kind of reframe the, the objectives of my life. When I started, got out of coaching in 2015 to come recruit doctors to this corporate company, there was a lot of that that was financially driven, you know? I mean, a lot of us in the coaching world, we know. I mean, you, you hustle, you grind, you don't have an off season, you know, you don't have a conventional schedule and all those things are there. Um, so I was, I was looking for a structure, I was looking for finance, I was looking for all these different things and I found it. But then it was like, hey, do I wanna keep leading or do I just wanna be a producer, just be a cog in the wheel, do my thing, but then be able to have the energy and the, and the attention span to give the kids that I coach the best of me to give my Mm -hmm. wife the best of me, to be able to lead in our home group uh, through our church, like to do those things. Like that's where my mission field is. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to, it's so hard for coaches, like any coaches listening to this, it's so hard because you more than any profession in this country are judged by outcomes Mm -hmm. and you're judged by them publicly and you're judged by them on, you're judged on them by people who nine times out of 10 couldn't walk a day in your shoes to do the job that you're doing. Correct. But you're judged over and over and over. And so it's like, man, my mission is to win because that's what keeps my, that's what keeps me employed. My mission mm-hmm. is to achieve because that's what gets me praise. And really it's like, that's your job. It's, and maybe it's part of your purpose and it's part of your calling, but there's a whole different element to all of this. And there's a spiritual plane that we have to be able to figure out what that is for us. And I think that in the past year with COVID and sitting back and part of us launching the podcast was just the idea that like this is a mission field. And if, if we are intentional about it, then we can do more than teach kids how to be good athletes. And if we're going to be out here spending all this time, what a waste if that's all we do. So that to me is like, you know, just again, like it, it maybe that's a little bit countercultural. It's like, well, don't you want this next promotion? Don't you want this leadership role over here? No, because that's going to distract me from what I feel like is my calling. Mm. And yeah, it's a, it's a cool title. And, and you might think this is what I want but that's not where I'm called. You know, I just feel different. So look, and that just pierced me because I get that all the time. You know, it's like, Oh, you don't think you want to do this. You don't think it's not about what I think. I move based off what God calls me to do. And whereas, yes, those titles, those jobs, those opportunities. Yeah. Okay. I get that. But if he doesn't want me to go down that path, I'm not going. And I think that's awesome. You know, you spoke a little bit about how, you know, that kind of led you and Brandon to the Iron Horse podcast. For those that are tapping in, check out the shirt, Iron Horse podcast. If you are not subscribed to it, if you're not listening, you are missing out. So take the time to go do that right now while he is telling you. So David Walker and his co-host, Brandon Carr, they are amazing in what they do. Talk to us a little bit about the Iron Horse podcast um, you know, how it came, what it's done for you. I mean, and then just kind of where our listeners can go to find that. Well, certainly what it's done for me is probably more than what it's done for our listeners, because I feel selfish in the conversations that we get to have. on the show. <laughs> Yep. Um, and, and sometimes it's because I'm getting to talk to childhood heroes, uh, where Brandon's childhood hero we had on was Charlie Ward, the Heisman Trophy winner. That was his guy as a kid. 
And I kind of surprised him, got that done. Like, hey man, guess who we're going to be talking to next week, you know? Um, but then for me, it's like, I'm, I'm Diamond Dallas Page, pro wrestler, got him on there. I, I grew up as a kid, like, oh man, DDP, you know, I'm going to have a conversation with this guy. You know? and, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, man, I, I hope somebody's inspired by this, but I'm sure having a lot of fun and I'm getting encouraged. And so what we do in the, the whole concept behind the podcast is to have a weekly conversation about intangibles that are going to benefit athletes beyond their performance training. So it's kind of like, um, you think about it as like a, hey, it's like a, a one hour a week class and we're going to pop in, we're going to have a speaker every week and you're going to be encouraged or you're going to have your, short, your sword sharpened with an intangible that's going to make you a better player, but it's mostly going to make you a better person. Um, because those, th- those two things have to be happening simultaneously or when that train stops and they tell you to get off and you're not good enough to play anymore, your eligibility runs out or whatever that is, whenever that day comes, the ACL happens or whatever, whatever it is for anybody. There's going to be a time where it's like, if all you learned through sports was how to be a good athlete and how to overcome and win games, man, like life's going to hit you right between the eyes and you're not going to know what to do with it. So there was a, there was a time where we were, you know, we've been coaching our sons together since they were three years old and they're eight now. But a couple of years ago, we started thinking about it from a standpoint of he's got the Car Cares Foundation where he's uh, pours into childhood literacy and that's uh, been a passion for him. And we started looking at this in the Dallas area. It's like, okay, we got these kids. We're starting to get attached to them. We had the same little core group of boys. And we started to watch them grow as four, five, six, seven, eight, now eight-year-olds. It's like, man, we kind of have a special, you have a special place in these kids' lives. And at some point, it's like, what are we doing with that influence? And so I'm, I'm everything, I mean, as I'm sure like, hey, shocker, we've been talking for an hour. <laughs> but everything for me relates back spiritual because I can't help that. That's, yep. And, and, I, and I, I don't apologize for it. It is who I am. And I, and I want I want that to be out of the overflow of my heart that that's what's going to come out of me at some point if we spend very much time together. So with our boys, like, hey, you know, praying after practice, pray after games, like those little things are kind of subtle, but it's just like a little checkpoint. Hey, this is important. But really just being more to me with, with our kids is living it out in front of them that they can see that I'm going to coach them hard, but I'm going to coach them fair. I'm going to tell them I'm proud of them. I'm going to tell them I love them because I don't know when they leave me and come back to the next week of practice or next game, I don't know what they get at home. And I don't assume that they get all those things. So I don't ever assume anybody gets those things. So I want every kid to be coached the same way I want my son coached. I want them to be told that they're, I'm proud of them. I want them to be told that, you know, hey, great job. I want, I want to affirm them in ways that I feel like are healthy. But then through the podcast itself, what we thought was, okay, we want to do something like this. Like maybe we should start this program with these kids, basketball, football and stuff. Well, I was listening to Tom Luganville on the drive to work. It was him and Greg McElroy talking about the Under Armour All-American game. For those of you who don't know Tom Luganville, ESPN recruiting guru has been on there forever. Uh, I said guru, guru, use my Oklahoma slang on that. <laughs> <laughs> recruiting guru, uh, Tom Luganville. <laughs> but no, he, uh, he was talking to Greg and they were talking about the Under Armour All-American game. And he said, it's fascinating to watch that in the week that they spend, they bring these the best football players in the United States down there for a week. They put them through practices, meetings, all these different things, and they play a game at the end. And he said, you will watch and just observe these kids. And you can tell just by observing their behavior, who's going to make it and who's not, who's going to play immediately and who's not, who's going to be an impact player one day and who's not like, who's going to get it, who is going to inevitably screw it up for themselves. And you can tell those things by how they talk to people, how they treat the staff. Are they taking, are they stealing stuff? They have people steal stuff down there. They, I mean, all these little behavioral personality traits 
are big time signals to people that are observing them as to what they're going to ultimately turn out as as college athletes. When they get on campus, they have to do all these things for themselves and nobody's, you know, gassing them up anymore about how great they are. Like, can they sustain this on their own far from home and, and manage all this stuff? Right. And it was sad to hear that. But then when you hear that, you're like, yeah, I know, I know a dozen kids like that off the top of my head that I either played with or coached. We all do. We all know the kids. There's like, man, gosh, if they could have just figured it out, man, if they just had better family yeah. dynamics at home, man, if they just could have like got out of that relationship, whatever that is. And we see that. And to me, like those are what I call sports tragedies. They are as destructive to generations as they can possibly be. And I, I say that because, and I, I mentioned my grandfather earlier, I'm going to put his business on the street for a minute because I don't care because <laughs> it changed. <laughs> changed but at 17 years old, he and my grandmother get pregnant in 1961 or 62, whatever it was in the small town, Oklahoma. And he had no lineage, no leadership, no, nothing to draw on to try to do the right things. And he was an athlete and all those things, but he made decisions that, you know what, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to make a better life. So they got married, they raised my dad, he played college basketball, took all jobs to make it work and ultimately changed everything for himself and for our family line. So when I say it's a generational impact is that sports and athletes are great athletes that get derailed for one reason or another and they don't push through and achieve and move forward and let, let their talent that God gave them lead them to a life that he is, he's presenting before them. Well, that affects generations down the road because if my grandfather said, hey, you know what, like, well, it's going to be pretty hard. So I'm not going to go pursue college athletics. I'm just going to go do whatever. I'm not going to get a degree. I'm not going to have a life. I'm not going to, you know, or just up and ran and let my grandma figure it out on her own because that we all know those things happen too. He could have done a lot of those things. And I am sitting here a different person if that takes place. Right. So that to me, when I see these kids, I think like, okay, let it never be said of a kid that goes through the iron horse program that when they're 17 or 18 years old, that they have a talent that their character cannot support. And so to me, like what the Iron Horse podcast is all about is like, okay, with all these sports tragedies that we all can see, all that we've experienced, the kids that pop in your head when I say that, they were a junior high teammate, a high school teammate, a college teammate, a kid you coached. That, that type of kid, like is, a, is unfortunately a dime a dozen in this sports world. So the kids that you have an opportunity to influence, if you are pouring in character, and you are looking at it from a holistic standpoint of a, how can I develop them beyond the game? That to me is what I'm passionate about. It's not winning and losing, it's cultivating leaders so that when they're done with us and they go in to play their high school teams and their colleges, whatever they do, they can look back and say, man, you know what? Like when I was eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, my coaches taught me how to act, taught me how to make eye contact, taught me how to say yes or no, sir taught me how to be a good teammate, taught me how to be supportive, taught me how to get over myself. And that, that really, those are kind of at the heartbeat of everything we talk about on Iron Horse. The guests come and go, whether, like I said, whether it's, you know, Heisman Trophy winners or college coaches or WWE Hall of Famers or baseball players. Like we've had the whole gamut on our show through 56 episodes now. But it's really just about like the theme of all of it is holistic athletic development, because we feel like there's so much lost in the winning and losing and the, especially in this Twitter world, like, Hey, I get blessed to get another offer and I'm, I'm going to decommit next week and I'm going to get another offer. And 
that whole world that they live in right now is very much a me first world. So when you talk about servant leaders, hey, if we can kind of get a, a footing with these kids and start to talk about the countercultural side, like, hey, maybe we can do this a little different. Maybe we can make this about not just you, but let you be the best that you can be. Then that, that's kind of the goal. David, that's awesome. I was sitting here just, you know, in the comment section uh, and the, some of the same things you said that hit me have hit them too. And I think it's amazing because all of us as leaders in any capacity, uh, we've seen it um, with, you know, these athletes from all walks and backgrounds. And it truly is, it, it's our role and it's our job as servant leaders to not only tap into their talent, but to be able to give them the intangibles. That is one of the things that I always speak of, even when, you know, some people tell me, that's not your job, do all of that. You need to just stick to this. No, 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 it is. Because when we watch those students, just like, you know, you know the individual you named who can, like you said, you basically can tell through that week because the intangibles aren't there, right? And so you said it best. You said, oh my goodness, we have to ensure that, they have a level of talent that their character is not able to support. And so we have to make sure, we have to ensure that this talent, right? Not just with athletes, but just in general, I was saying this earlier, that the talent that is in them, oftentimes the greatest talent, the individual that owns it or possesses it, doesn't even realize it. Nine times out of 10, that person that is great, that is awesome, they don't even realize it yet. It was tapped into by someone else, by a bystander, a coach, a mentor. Someone else saw it first. And it's our job to protect that. You know, it's almost sometimes a blessing and a curse that they don't that they don't see it. You know, I remember growing up and learning to play the game of basketball. And people would tell my mom and my brother, like, do y'all realize how good she is? And they're like, yeah, but I didn't. Like, I just enjoyed what I was doing. But it's our job that when we see that talent, and it's not that honest, blind talent, it's that talent that, you know, because they lack the intangibles or the character, as you said, the support, it's our job to make sure that if they're in our realm, if they're under the helm of our leadership, we have to ensure that we're providing those things. And your podcast with Brandon, it's providing that to individuals that probably you will never meet. You know, and that's the blessing in that servant leadership is that as long as you do what God has called you to do, he handles the direction. He handles where it's supposed to go. Yep. You know, it's not about where, yeah, we can push and pub and that's what we're supposed to do, right? But then at that point, another song that comes to mind, leave it in the hands of the Lord. We leave it in his hands. And sometimes it's, and I'm sure you do, or Brandon as well, get those messages like, man, I listened to that and you have no idea what that did to me. Yeah. That's God's at work. Because it's all just, it's all just sowing seeds. I mean, the podcast yeah. world is one of the weirdest worlds ever. Chelsea, you can appreciate this. If you haven't ever done one, trust us. You record something and in my world, I don't have the interactive audience when we do it. You record mm -hmm. it, you send it off into a vacuum, you know, it just goes off wherever it goes off and you're just like, well, feel like that's pretty good content. <laughs> right. You know, most of the time you don't know. Um, but what I think is so important for parents right now, and, and again, I am one, is that like in Dallas, if you want extra training in any sport, I don't care if it's lacrosse or it's the most obscure, no offense, lacrosse people. I know there's some great lacrosse in the Northeast specifically, <laughs> but 
in down here, if there's just any obscure sport you can think of outside of the, you know, the big four or five, you can get individual training and parents spend a whole lot of money to get their kids one-on-one mm-hmm. -on -one training to get their skill set better, all this stuff. And I wonder sometimes like with all the resources, AAU tournaments, jerseys, personal training, the, the newest Jays or LeBrons that are out or whatever it is, like the headbands, the swag, all the stuff that you spend, all the hours you spend going to practice, gyms, tournaments, hotels, all that stuff, all that equity you're pouring into that, what are you doing for their character? And that's just, that's an open-ended question because I don't think there's enough character development programs out there. And that's what we're trying to, to provide. It's just a weekly, weekly touch point that says, hey, if you're looking for character development for an hour a week, you can find it over here. Yeah, I think it's golden. So those that are listening currently and those that will listen on the podcast, I'm telling you right now, do yourself a favor and have that one hour a week uh, enrichment I'm telling you, you will not be support, disappointed at all. Uh, you know, while you're there, scroll back, right? Scroll back and listen to my conversation with David on the podcast because it definitely uh, enriched my life and connected us, you know, for the future. So we appreciate you for that, David. You know, David, there is, of course, naturally, you've already answered my servant leader portion. So I won't take you back there because you've blown me away with that anyway. And I don't want another definition because you got it. But one of the things I love to do as we start to close up is, you know, reminders. You know, life has its way. We have the ups and downs. We have those, as I call them, mountaintop moments. We also have our valley moments. But the goal of mine is to understand that the same God in the mountain is the same God in the valley. We can't, we cannot just because of how we feel, um, lose that faith, lose that understanding. And so one of the things I love to do to continue to keep my iron sharp to continue to recognize who, you know, keeps me sharp as I'll do a God is devotion. And what it does, it keeps me on my toes. It helps me remember what he is. It helps me remember what he isn't. Some of us, we, we have to remember our biggest blessings from him is he said no, right? Um, and so I'll say God is, I'll draw a blank and I'll just, sometimes I do it in my mind and sometimes I'll write it and just write down what he is. Well, you don't get a full length. You don't get a Rolodex or a list. You just get one today. So if I said God is, and I drew a blank, like right here in this imaginary line, how would David Walker feel that blank? God is what? Bigger than the boxes we've put him in. I'm about to throw my mic at you, okay? If I, if I <laughs> wanted to buy another one, I would. But <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that. And I'm hearing servant leader, uh, Coach Yo at Ole Miss say no ceilings. Like I'm hearing that. Like that's just fun. Yes. What made you choose that? Oh my God, yes. Um, honestly, I think that it's, it kind of just, like I said, I think it goes a lot of it. And listen, I, I'll have people from Fort Gibson, Oklahoma listening today. I want to look right in this camera and say, I love being from Fort Gibson, Oklahoma, USA. I was born in a tribal hospital. I'm Cherokee Indian. I also yes. grew up right down the street from a national cemetery where we've got military graves and funeral processions almost on the daily passing through and American flags flying. And so I grew up in this unique juxtaposition of like, okay, so I was, I'm, I'm tribal in a sense. And yet I'm right down the street from an American military cemetery. I know at one point these, these places clashed together and yet we coexist in a way that we show respect to all. And so we had this harmonious existence where there's some diversity, not a ton, but a little bit but I kind of grew up in the shadows of sacrifice in a sense that I was a, a third of a mile from this national cemetery where like literally we would have to stop playing basketball 
and, and hold our ball. And every kid in Fort Gibson, Oklahoma, when the when the processions come through, we know a, a soldier is going to be buried. People stop what they're doing. The kids in the, on the recess playground will take a knee as they pass through to be respectful. So like we grew up in a way that's like, I understand what servitude and what sacrifice is. Mm-hmm. I understand that there's different churches in town and we all, we all try to get along best we can. We disagree on stuff. Like I understand all that. But to me, like when I grew up in a small town, like I put God in boxes in ways that I didn't understand people that live in the city. I didn't understand until I got to college, people that grew up in South Central LA or wherever else. I didn't understand that stuff. And I'm still learning about different people's backgrounds and about, you know, what it was like for them. And, and then now being able to travel the world a little bit and, um, and like be in Mexico and take our kids to um, in, into the barrios to, to serve and to be able to do those things. Like, and see when we go to worship in Cabo San Lucas, go to a bilingual church to worship and our kids get to see that. It's like, hey, God's bigger than the box that me as a kid in Fort Gibson, Oklahoma, put him in for a lot of my life. That God is everywhere and God is at work everywhere. He's at work in the bush in Africa. I've got, we've got good friends in Nigeria that are doing the run an orphanage in, in uh, Nigeria. He's at work over there, you know? And so he's bigger than the boxes that we place him in. And sometimes I think it's, it's really easy to keep him in that box because it makes us feel comfortable and it feels like we, we haven't missed anything. But I think that when we start to broaden our horizons, meet new people, ask more questions, be inquisitive, be curious, that's where the growth happens. And that's where I start to see like, oh man, well, this God of the universe that, that thought enough to create little me and give me this little life that I'd try to cling so tightly to. Yeah, he's bigger than those boxes, for sure. I mean, drops mic. There's nothing else better to say to that. Like, there isn't. I'm just letting that one ride out. I'm gonna let that one just breathe on its own. That's amazing. David, you have been awesome. I mean, this conversation is, I'm not even surprised. I really am not. I've been looking forward to it. Um, but I'm just thankful for you. I'm thankful for the nuggets that you dropped today to truly encourage me, to encourage our listeners. And I know those that, you know, listen strictly on the podcast are definitely going to enjoy it when it posts up. But I just thank you. I thank you for what you do. I thank you for being in the trenches um, to help our young people, our athletes to lead and to just recognize, like you said, the true resemblance that we're trying to resemble. You know, it's amazing that we look like our parents. I think they gave us great genes. Um, but to resemble our Heavenly Father who gave us amazing genes is, is truly what we seek after and to truly work for our gain that will come later is something to keep us all pushed and encouraged. So thank you so much just for being here, for talking to us, for encouraging us, for you know growing us. I just truly thank you. Tell our listeners where to find you before we wrap up today. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at D underscore walk 74. And you can keep up with us on the Iron Horse podcast, Twitter page at the Iron Horse pod. Um, and that's probably Twitter is probably the best way to keep up with me. Um, mm-hmm. Email ironhorsepod at gmail.com. Uh, would love to connect. I know, like you said, Chelsea, you and I are talking today because of a DM on Twitter that led to a conversation <laughs> on the podcast. And, and I think there's so, there's so many things to be gained by connectivity. And so I'm certainly happy to connect and reach out with anybody that, that wants to do so. And we can talk further offline or uh, link up one day down the road uh, for Iron Horse possibly as well, if that's something you're interested in doing. For sure. Y'all don't take, I mean, don't take it for granted. Take him up on it because he means it. And I, I assure you, um, you will definitely have a, a an amazing uh, sharp piece of iron to help sharpen yours. So uh, before you go, we got to cover you. So if you buy your heads real quick, 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much just for simply doing what you do best. You align paths um, so that they cross to allow you to get the glory, Lord God. We thank you for recognizing our missions and our purpose and the true calling that you place in our lives, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that we don't find it robbery to lead. We don't find it robbery, Lord God, to give our time, Lord God. We thank you so much just for David and his family. We thank you for Brandon, Lord God, and both of them together, putting together that Iron Horse podcast. I ask that you bless that, Lord God. I ask that you continue to grow it so that the listeners, Lord God, that are currently subscribed and those that will subscribe later can continue to gain those intangibles, Lord God, to continue to be a better leader, a better athlete, and a better person. I ask that you bless his family, Lord God. Strengthen them get them, you know, to where you would call them to be. Uh, Bless those three amazing young men, Lord God. Help them to continue to follow their father so that they can follow their heavenly father, Lord God. We ask that you bless our listeners listening now, listening later, Lord God. But most of all, we ask that you help us to be lights, help us to illuminate so that those that may not know you can find you. And yes, in Jesus' name, we'll always pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, absolutely. We thank you guys for listening. We'll see you all next time.